Hello and welcome to In the Past. I am your host, Kelsey, and each week we are going to look at a person or event from history and delve into it. Please note, while I strive greatly to source information from historical and accountable records, I may make occasional mistakes, and this podcast is for entertainment purposes. Today we are going to talk about Diane de Poitiers, the famous mistress to King Henry II of France. Throughout most of this episode, there are three key people that you need to know about. There is Diane de Poitiers herself, there is Henry II, King of France, and there is his wife, Catherine de Medici. If I'm saying that wrong, I really apologize. The bulk of Diane's information is about her time as Henry's mistress. There's not a whole lot before that and after that. So to help fill in some gaps, I will be combining her story a little bit with Henry and Catherine's story up to the point where those stories stop intersecting. So Henry and Catherine will be in the story as much as they need to be to tell the story. There's actually a lot of information about Catherine de' Medici because she was such a pivotal figure in French history. So while I will discuss some parts of her life here in relation to Henry and Diane, if you want me to cover her exclusively in another episode, let me know. I would love to do that. Diane was born between the year 1499 and the year 1500. I struggled to find out an accurate date for her. Um, This is fairly common for women throughout history. A lot of times we just get their baptism dates and not the birth date itself. So it's possible that she was born on September 3rd, 1499. I also read that she was born on January 6th in the year 1500. And I also read that she was born on New Year's Eve in 1499. So for the sake of our sanity, we're just going to go with she was born between the year 1499 and the year 1500. In any case, her parents were Jean de Poitiers and Jean de Bastarnay. When Diane was 10, she was sent to live with the Duke and Duchess of Bourbon. And the Duchess of Bourbon would help to raise Diane for the next five years. Diane was educated in the humanist form, a staple of the Renaissance. So she studied religion, Greek, Latin, dancing, and she learned to play the lute. The Duchess of Bourbon then helped Diane to find a husband. When Diane was 15, she married Louis de Brez, the Seigneur d'Anet. If I'm saying that wrong, again, I apologize. Louis was 39 years older than Diane. His age and his stern outlook did not concern the Duchess when arranging this marriage for Diane. He was from an impeccable lineage as he was the grandson of King Charles VII and was known to be a very courageous soldier. I can imagine that Diane at 15 who was a very lively girl, very active, would have been a little bit crushed to see this man who was 39 years older than her, so in his 50s, who looked very harsh. If you look at his portrait, he looks like a very hard man. I can imagine it would have been a little disappointing. His home was in Normandy, a region to the north of Paris. The town of Anne was where Diane's new home was to be located. The fortress-like castle of Anne was a far cry from the beautiful home that she had been living in with the Duke and the Duchess of Bourbon. Diane did her duty, and the couple had two children, two daughters, Francois, who was born in 1518, and Louise was born in 1521. Diane soon became a lady-in-waiting for Queen Claude at the French court, and when Queen Claude died, she served Queen Eleanor. Diane's husband, Louis, was a devout loyalist to King Francis, a good feature, but when he discovered a plot against Francis, he ratted the plotters out. 
But what he didn't know was that his father-in-law was involved in that plot. So in 1524, Diane's father, Jean de Poitiers, was accused of treason and sentenced to death. However, his sentence was commuted and he was not executed. In 1531, Diane's husband, Louis, died. She was now the widow at the age of 32. Diane's emblem was three intersecting crescents. This was to honor the idea that she was Diana, the Roman goddess of the hunt and of the moon. And she took the colors black and white as her colors, which were also used to symbolize the moon. Diane went to court after her husband's death to petition that she should be allowed to keep her husband's estates and titles in her own right and not be forced to give them to the closest male relative. Francois, the king of France at the time, must have been impressed by the woman because he agreed and he granted her wishes. She was now a financially independent woman, which also made her very powerful. Diane was a woman ahead of her times. Besides petitioning to keep her own estates and have an income, she was extremely active and enjoyed swimming, hunting, and riding every day. She remained active her entire life, even up until right before her death. I'm going to give a quick little backstory here on Henry, the man who would become King of France. The story of Henry and Diane begins before Henry II was king. It actually begins with a tale that Henry met Diane when he was just a boy, and he was being held for ransom by the Spanish. King Francis himself had been the original prisoner, and he was then later exchanged for his two sons. His sons, including Henry and his older brother Francis, would spend four years in captivity. Diane was said to have kissed the boy goodbye, and that Henry never forgot the beautiful woman who did so. Henry would often take to wearing Diane's colors, black and white, at events, and he did so when his father remarried to Queen Eleanor in 1531, which is the same year, if you remember, that Diane's husband died. In 1533, Henry was married to 14-year-old Catherine de' Medici, who would go on to become Diane's greatest enemy. Diane and Catherine were second cousins, and Diane was no fool. Remember, Diane is several years older than Catherine, and she used this to her advantage. We're going to pause here because I want to give a quick background on Catherine de' Medici. Catherine de' Medici was born in the Italian city of Florence in 1519, she was born into the very wealthy and very powerful Medici family. Now, Italy was not unified at this time. Italy is a series of city-states during the Renaissance. There is no unified Italy. There's just different regions, different cities that control these regions. The Medici family lived in Florence, which was the city that they controlled. Catherine's father was Lorenzo di Piero de' Medici, the ruler of Florence and the Duke of Urbino. Catherine's mother, Madeleine de la Tour, was French and related to the nobility through the Bourbon line. Two weeks after Catherine's birth, her mother died, and a month after Catherine's birth, her father Lorenzo died, so she was orphaned. Catherine was still highly educated. Her uncles were Popes Leo X and Pope Clement VII, and since she was orphaned from birth, those men oversaw her upbringing. Despite her quote-unquote common status, Catherine had several marriage proposals. Remember, through her mother, she has French nobility in her veins, and her, her father comes from an extremely powerful family. Despite the fact that they were not royalty, they still had a lot of power. When Francois I, or Francis I of France, proposed a match between his second son Henry and Catherine, 
Pope Clement VII gladly accepted, and the couple was married in October of 1533. So Catherine and Henry got married, and despite Henry's marriage to a woman his own age, or a young lady his own age, Henry now took Diane as his mistress, only after he was a married man. She was 35, and he was 15, 16. There's no exact time in history that we know that Diane and Henry officially became lovers. But the consensus seems to be that after his marriage, that's when Henry and Diane began a more intimate relationship. But Diane made sure that Henry didn't neglect his duty to Catherine. She didn't want it to reflect badly on herself. Diane encouraged Henry to visit Catherine if you know what I mean. Despite Diane's encouragement, Henry and Catherine would not have an heir to the throne for over a decade. Diane was older and mature, intelligent and confident, and I can only imagine how intimidating she must have been to young Catherine. I suppose Catherine probably also looked up to her in a lot of ways and was curious about this woman because she must have known what was going on between Henry and Diane. And... As a 14-year-old girl, she was probably incredibly intimidated by Diane and also intrigued. Maybe she wasn't. I don't know. I know when I was 14 years old, I was not a confident person. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, let alone to be in a new country with a new husband and to have marital duties expected of you. One can only imagine what went through Catherine's head and also what went through her head when she realized who Diane was to Henry. At one point, Catherine became very ill, and Diane herself stepped in and helped nurse Catherine back to help. But again, this probably was a method of preserving her image, making her look good. But it's possible that she did also feel something for Catherine. And I have to wonder what Diane's thoughts were. She's a She's 18 years older than Henry, and Henry is madly in love with her, possibly even borderline obsessed with her. She has a lot of political influence for her time, and Diane must have known that she was stepping on Catherine's toes a little bit, because remember, Diane and Henry's relationship didn't go to the next level until after he was married. After he was married. So there were three people in that marriage. There was Catherine, Henry, and Diane. In 1536, Henry's position changed. His older brother Francis became ill and died, so now Henry was the Dauphin. Anne, who is King Francis's mistress, convinced Francis that Diane was helping Henry to reinstate Constable Montmorency at court. Francois believed her and banished Diane from court in the year 1544. In response to this, Henry and his supporters packed up and they left court and joined Diane at her home in Anne. It would be a year before the King of France and the Dauphin reconciled. I will also add at this time that Catherine, Henry's wife, had only just given birth, finally, to their first child and son, Francis, who was born in January of 1544. This was an incredible moment. The couple had been married for 10 years and Henry had become next in line for the throne unexpectedly with his brother's death. So this was the heir to the heir. This was very important. Francis 
banished Diane from court, and Henry's response was to go and be with her. So in defense of his mistress, Henry packed up his things and he left and joined her at her home while she was banished from court, despite the fact that his wife had just given birth and that he now had a newborn son. Despite his devotion to Diane, Henry still strayed a little from his relationship. He's known to have three other mistresses, each of which gave him an illegitimate child, but none of these women survived as his favorite as long as Diane. Diane was his mistress for 25 years. In 1547, King Francis I died and Henry was now King of France. Henry was 28 at this time and Diane was 46. Diane became a patron of the French Renaissance. In the year 1548, she began to rebuild her home in Anne. She built the new Chateau Anne on the remains of the old castle. And this is the same year that Diane was made Duchess of Valentinois. And in 1553, he made her Duchess d'Etampes. And Henry even went so far as to give Diane the crown jewels, not his wife, Catherine. I just want to interject here really quickly and recommend a documentary that I watched the other night. Um, it was on Magellan TV, which if you love your documentaries and history, then you should definitely get a subscription. No, this isn't sponsored by them, but I do love Magellan TV. So there are a lot of great documentaries on Magellan. The documentary that I watched is called Chambord, the Leonardo da Vinci mystery. It's about an hour long, and it's the construction of the chateau and Francis I's dream of building it, how Leonardo da Vinci influenced the design, and how the chateau was built on this marsh in the middle of nowhere in the 16th century. And they're still discovering how they built this castle, the chateau, and how they're taking care to ensure its survival today. It was a fascinating documentary, and I love hearing about these chateaux, most of which were built during this time period in France. I was lucky enough to visit Fontainebleau in 2015, and it was mind-blowing. You can see firsthand how these Renaissance chateaux were constructed, and the detail level is insane. There are reminders everywhere of Francois, the first, Francis the first, his salamander is all over. There are F's carved into the woodwork. Beautiful. There's also moments captured in time from when Henry lived there as king. And he, much like his father, there are H's engraved in wood carving throughout the chateau and interlaced with the letter H for Henry are crescent moons which represent Diane. And at first glance, uh, the crescent moons almost look like C's for Catherine, but upon further inspection, they are in fact the crescent moons, which are the symbol for Diane. So Fontainebleau, along with other chateaux, have these, these permanent reminders of Henry's never waning affection for Diane, as opposed to his wife, Catherine. There's so much Renaissance architecture there, and I could probably make an entire episode about these Renaissance chateaux, so if that's something that you would love to see or hear, let me know. I would greatly talk about them. So speaking of chateau, 
1555, Diane was given the Chateau Chanonceau, which was a particular insult to Catherine because she had expressed that she wanted that chateau for herself. But Henry gave it to Diane. Chanonceau is one of the most famous Renaissance chateaux that reside in the Loire Valley. It's quintessential Renaissance architecture, and it looks like something out of a fairy tale. So Chanonceau is no doubt one of the most beautiful chateaux with its long gallery that stretches over the river Cher. But when Diane took possession of the chateau, the famous gallery over the river was not there. Diane was said to have began building the foundations for that gallery across the river because she wanted to be able to reach the other side of the river, the banks. Again, Diane loved to swim, and she would often swim in the river Cher, and she wanted to be able to access the other side of the riverbanks. There seems to be a little bit of a debate as to whether it was Diane or Catherine who built this bridge with the gallery over it. Like I said, some records show that Diane was the one to build it. Others say that she just began the foundations of that building and that Catherine later finished it. Others say that Catherine was the one to build it. Um, but in any case, when Diane took possession of the chateau, that bridge was not there, and she wanted it to be. From Chanonceau, Diane continued to find herself in Henry's favor, and she helped him in politics. Henry allowed her to write official letters for him and be signed by her. She even had a specific way of signing these documents. She would sign them, Henry Diane, one word put together. When gifts were sent to Henry and Catherine for favors, Diane was also sent gifts because they knew how important this woman was to the King of France. For example, Pope Paul III sent Catherine a golden rose, but when he sent that gift, he also sent Diane a pearl necklace. Diane was involved in the lives of Henry and Catherine's children. She oversaw their education Diane's own daughter, Francois, managed the queen's household as the chief lady-in-waiting. So there really is a lot of blending of Catherine and Henry's lives with Diane's life. On June 30th, 1559, Henry took part in a jousting tournament. These were extremely popular throughout Europe, and these were a great way to show sportsmanship and athletic ability and just the masculinity as well. That day, Henry tied Diane's favor or ribbon to his lance instead of his wife's. He rode against the Comte de Montgomery and was knocked off his saddle. Henry insisted on riding against him again. He wanted to prove himself. He wanted to show that he was the better man. So the Count and Henry faced off again, but this time Henry was mortally wounded. He had faced his opponent, but this time he had raised the visor of his helmet, which exposed his face. His opponent's lance struck him in the head, splintering, because remember these are made of wood, and part of that splintered off and went into Henry's eye and face. Both Diane and Catherine were present when this happened, and they are both recorded to have fainted from the sight of his injury and just the sheer amount of blood that was gushing from this man's face. Henry was doomed from the moment that this injury happened. Five splinters from the lance were embedded in his head. One in particular went through his eye and into his brain. Though he had survived the initial injury, his agony was about to begin. He handled the injury well from the beginning. He was speaking and he was able to dictate letters, but he soon began to lose his sight and his speech before he finally succumbed to his injuries. 
Catherine wasted no time in swooping in. She rushed to her husband's side and she banned Diane from seeing Henry. Some evidence shows that Diane chose to stay away from Henry, that she put some separation between herself and him. There's also accounts saying though that, that Catherine just flat out banned Diane. She would not allow Diane to come in. Henry did ask for Diane. He had to have known what was happening. He had to have known that he probably wasn't going to survive this. He wanted to see Diane, but Catherine would not let her come into his room. And on July the 10th, 1559, 11 days after his injury in the jousting tournament, Henry II died at the age of 40. It's a little interesting because even nowadays, neurosurgeons are still discussing Henry's death from this injury and figuring out exactly what caused his death just beyond the surface level of sepsis. One article that I read through said that the postmortem study showed that his death was from meningoencephalitis from a hematoma of a cerebral contusion. Hopefully I said all of those words right. From my understanding of these terms, his brain was injured and bleeding from the wooden shards and the bleeding caused hematomas to form, which are essentially just pools of clotted blood. Um, and from that, it caused the meningoencephalitis or the inflammation of his brain, which was likely caused by an infection. I can only imagine, you know, the, the amount of germs that were on those wooden shards just because it was, it was wood, it was exposed to the elements. Obviously, brain injuries in the 16th century were next to impossible to fix because even with our modern medicine, there are still traumatic brain injuries that, that are untreatable. Um, another interesting fact I wanted to share really quick was that Ambrose Paré, one of the doctors who treated Henry after his injury, was referred to as the father of modern surgery. After Henry died, Paré remained the official surgeon for the future kings, so for Henry's sons that would become king. One of the things that he did was he replaced the practice of cauterization after amputation with the practice of ligature of arteries. So basically stitching up the artery itself instead of relying on cauterization to seal up the arteries. Apparently the process of using cauterization didn't always stop the bleeding and often the patients would die from shock. Pare also documented the sensation of phantom limb pain and believed the sensation was from the brain and not from the remains of the limbs itself. Pare also helped to make the crow's beak, which was a predecessor to hemostats. I found this all very fascinating. With Henry dead and her son still too young to take the throne, Catherine swooped in and took control of France. Catherine immediately ordered Diane to give back the crown jewels that Henry had given her. Catherine also forced Diane to leave the Chateau Chononceau and accept the Chateau Chaumont in exchange for it. And that is where Diane would be sent away. She would be sent away to the Chateau Chaumont. Always a lover of riding and the hunt, Diane continued her active lifestyle. In 1565, a year before her death, she suffered from a riding accident. Ambrose Paré, the doctor who had attended to Henry II, was the doctor who treated her, and she had fractured her tibia and her fibula. She never quite recovered from this injury. She was 65 at this time, and in the 16th century, that's pretty impressive. Diane died on April 22nd, or April 25th, it's debated, 1566 at the age of 66 at her chateau in Anne. She's buried at the chapel in Anne per her wishes that her daughter Louise 
executed for her. During the French Revolution, her grave was opened and her remains were taken from their resting place and thrown into a mass grave. And this was actually extremely common. Everybody went bananas during the French Revolution and so many interred bones were tossed about. It wasn't until 2009 that her remains were found and taken back to their original resting place at Anne in 2010. Scientists were also able to test strands of Diane's hair around this time that she had been found, and Diane was said to have used beauty and anti-aging elixirs that contained gold, liquid gold, among other things. They discovered that her hair had 500 times the amount of normal levels of gold, and she also had twice the normal amounts of mercury, which was the way that the alchemists used to purify the liquid gold in the 16th century. From this test, they deduced that she had in fact been taking this liquid gold for years and years, which would have caused brittle hair, brittle bones, and brittle teeth. And based on that, I would say it's pretty likely that because of that fall that she had, that's probably why she never quite recovered between her age in general and the fact that her bones would have likely have been very brittle from the liquid gold that she had been drinking for so long. That wraps up our story of Diane de Poitiers. What did you think of her life? I want to end today's episode with a book recommendation. It's a historical fiction novel that is about Diane de Poitiers. So it's not fiction, but it's probably a pretty good interpretation of what her life would have been like. The title is Courtesan, and the author is Diane Hager. I actually read this book a very long time ago. It's probably over a decade now. But I still remember it. It was very good. It was very entertaining. It held my attention. I read through it pretty quickly. I don't think I have it anymore. It probably was one of the books I decided to get rid of in a move some time ago. But let me know your thoughts. What is a topic or a person from history that you think I should cover next? I am always open to suggestions for future episodes. I want to thank you for listening. This was our first episode. I will be back next week with another episode for you, so be sure to stay tuned. And if you feel like sticking around, hit that subscribe button and you will be notified when there is a new episode. Take care. Bye.